The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. Hello. Sometimes a threat is so great, its potential for destruction so overwhelming, that a group of heroes is needed to assemble in order to turn back the tide. And sometimes they needn't bother. My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and an invisible man, and you are listening to Cinema Limbo. This evening's presentation is The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the 2003 adventure based on the comic series created by Alan Moore and starring Sean Connery in his final feature film. My guest is Ed Bloomer, and you join us surrounded by wildlife in a home that is not our own. Hello, Ed. Hello. Right, well, in a bit of a... Uh, might be in a bit of a race today as we're recording this in someone else's house, and I don't know when they're coming home. <laughs> that makes it sound like we've snuck in somewhere or broken in. Well, speaking of uh, violating someone's property... Hey, that's nice. I know, the segues, that's my real talent. Um... What can you tell me about Alan Moore? Um, well, uh, I don't think I, I'm not sure a big biography would help, but I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of his stuff, um, or the majority of his stuff anyway. Um, he is a, essentially a, an author, uh, and primarily famous for being a comic book writer, um, but he's done novels as well, which are pretty well regarded. And lots of his stuff has been turned into films, he's been adapted, and generally speaking, he is not approving of any of this. No, he's a very peculiar man. Um, I don't know if it's that peculiar. He just has he just has a particular position. He worships the snake god. Yes, but even that, I think, is... Uh, he describes himself as a, a magician and not in the just-like-that sense. No, no, that's true. But, but in a casting hexes on his neighbours sense. No, true, but, but I mean, I think, I think that's all wrapped up in his idea of sort of... Uh, performance and, and the artistic process. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm not saying that I, I uh, agree with his sort of ideas or, or whatever. But but that aside, I mean, you, yeah, I think you can put that aside and, and, and think about the work. But I think in terms of um, his his refusal to sort of play along, with, say let's say the Hollywood system or whatever. I think I think that's. Uh, I mean, I think it's not that unusual. Boys really suggesting it's just that he is very clear about what he's interested in and people keep trying to sort of slip and slide around him and he stands firm and I think I think that annoys lots of other people that, that think that this is going to be some sort of negotiation he's, he's just got a clear position mm-hmm. here it is take it or leave it well yeah yeah and I think I mean yeah I think lots of people sort of think well isn't it exciting to be you know having a film made of your work or you know potentially financially benefit but if you're, if you're not interested in that and you're interested in sort of maintaining the integrity of the work he's, he's not obliged to to bend to anyone else and uh, uh, their idea might as well stand for him it's, mm. it's, it's, what, it's what he's interested in and, and if he's not going to get any benefit out of any of the other things why not tell all of them to sort of take a running jump and as well as all of that he's the second most famous person to come out of Northampton He's the most famous person. Matt Smith. In all of its history. Well, his big uh, book, Jerusalem, uh, talks a lot about that area, I suppose. 
He's, really he's, got, he's got this idea that it's sort of essentially tied into everything uh, important that's happened in Britain. You can sort of trace it all back uh, there. To Northampton? Yeah. But with, with does, these coming and going, I, I, I... Does, now, that, does that theory stand up to scrutiny? I, I, I'll be honest, I don't know. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't read um, uh, Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem is a, is a prose novel. He's best known for his comics. Yes, that's true. Of course. Um, he actually, there's another Doctor Who connection, he wrote for Doctor Who Weekly in its early days All right, before he okay. achieved fame, and he came up with one of the, the keystones of Time Lord mythology that was incorporated into the TV show. Um, but he's written From Hell about uh, Jack the Ripper, which was made into a film which was moderately successful, uh, V for Vendetta, yep. about an anarchist revolution in a future fascist Britain, which was made into a moderately successful film, yep. and The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, in which all the heroic protagonists of Victorian popular fiction join forces, which was made into a total disaster of a film. That's true. Well, hold on, just to add in, I mean, Watchmen as well, which and, was and financially successful at least. Well, I think it just about made its money back. Okay, okay. It, well, it was a very expensive film to make, yeah, fair and, enough. It, and it had yeah. problems. And also, it's uh, it's the only film that's really suffered from being too faithful. Uh, uh, possibly. Well, I mean, I'm not sure that was the sole root of its problems, but well, there's but but, but, I, well. but I think there is an interesting kind of contrast there. Watchmen was, to a certain extent, faithful, um, and I think that. I think you're right, it did harm it, be- because Alan Moore didn't write a three-hour film. He wrote, no, he wrote a 12-part series. Yeah, um, and, and, and the, the rhythm of the, the sort of the plot, the narration, all that sort of stuff is... It, 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 you can turn it into a film, but, it, but that's not its sort of natural state. No, it went, it went through many iterations before it reached the uh, outstretched, outstretched claws of Zack Snyder. Mm. Um, and it came close to uh, Paul Greengrass doing a version. They were actually started building the sets. All right, I didn't um, really go that far. T- uh, Terry Gilliam as well. Terry, Gi- Terry Gilliam is the uh, Terry Gilliam thought it was unfilmable, and when he thinks something's unfilmable, you should pay attention. Well, maybe <laughs> yes, that's that's a good point. But, um, Greengrass's version was going to be quite different, but it was going to retain the central core themes and messages of the book. I just rework sure. the story so that it would function better as a feature film, which I think is sensible. Sensible, but again, I can I can see from my most point of view, if someone tells you no, we're going to keep we're, like going to keep we're going to keep the same themes, but we're going to rework the story, right? Well, I mean, I can I can completely understand him washing his hands of it, and I think that's all it is. It's not. I mean, there's all sorts of various things about the the, the lawsuits involved with uh, Watchmen and various other things, and that in some ways. It sort of spilled into the way he was dealing with the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But I think you can put that aside a little bit because he's just, he's just washing his hands of it. He, he's not um, he, he's he's not being drawn into it. And um, no, you would hope that people would respect that. But but of course, there's huge amounts of money involved, so they, they sort of don't. Yes, he um, he was soured on uh, working directly with Hollywood by League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And by the lawsuit that cropped up as it was um, being released. Well, sure, but but again, I think. Well, yeah, I, I, I think it's just the idea of you know if you have a particular position, then just uh, stick to it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I don't think it's any. It doesn't necessarily have to be more complicated than that, of just someone having a particular position and, and meaning it. 
and 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 I, I think it's kind of interesting. Lots of people find that difficult to comprehend. Really, That's the idea of oh, you can't you can't really mean it. It's Hollywood. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. He's Northampton. Well, yeah, and, and and it doesn't even matter if it's he's correct and how. I mean, it doesn't matter how you want to define it. It's just he's got the right to be able to say, "Bugger off." Did you see um, the film when it came out? I was racking my brains. I was trying to think. I think I did. I think I did see it uh, in the cinema. Um, I've certainly seen it. I, I think I've seen it three times. I think I've. Se- I think I've seen it in the cinema. I think I saw it, uh, you know, drunkenly uh, once as a student with a bunch of mates, and I watched it again uh, before before coming here. Um, I think I did see it in the cinema, yeah, but I cannot recall who I would have seen it with. And I don't think I would have seen it on my own, but I... I saw it on my own. No, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just... No, there isn't. (laughs) No, but I'm just thinking... I I don't have a proper sense of memory. I think because in lots of ways the film's completely forgettable. Yes. I think for a a book that is deliberately steeped in British cultural history and so carefully worked and carefully detailed... It is a shame that the film goes down without even touching the sides. Yes, because, well, okay. So again, much like the Watchmen thing, it, it, he he didn't write a film for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He wrote a comic series. Yeah, but the screenwriters didn't write a film either. No, no, no. That okay. That that but that aside, what I'm saying is is it, it's got the name yes. and it's got some of the characters. Um, it doesn't have the story. It, it doesn't. It doesn't have the story, but it also doesn't have. You know, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Can we just can we just call it the League or something like that? Because otherwise, okay, okay, let's just call it the League from now on. Uh, you know, there's lots of back matter. There's lots of uh, sort of hidden detail, or not not even hidden detail, but loads of detail within the artwork. There's loads of uh, sort of um, uh, backstory to a few things. There's there, there's um, there's little uh, visual sort of twists and interests. So. It, He's created something that is there for the comic medium, right? And some of that you could translate into a, a film, but but not all of it. So you're 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 going to have to leave some of it behind. And if that's the, some of the good stuff, then you are by nature leaving some of the good stuff behind. Well, the movie starts very abruptly with this battle on the streets with a tank. Yeah. Do you, how do you think the world building in the film works compared, to, compared to the book? Well, okay, well, badly, <laughs> because but but also it's because of because of the medium itself. Uh, I think um, the, the the not just the style of Kevin O'Neill's kind of artwork, but also the the, the details they put in. It, it, it looks very different. It, I mean, even sort of superficially, it's it's. it's the comic this is is is, is brighter. There is um, a sort of a steampunk element to it that is is not the steampunk style that they have in the film. Uh, what I'm trying to say, I think, is that well, there's two big things I would say. First of all, I think I think the comic book has a sort of um, a, a cheekiness to it. There's an almost a sort of uh, English seaside postcards sort of aspect to it and some, sometimes that's a, uh, in some of the other supplemental work that's a bit more sort of explicit but um, there is that aspect just if we just think about the main story and don't worry about the back matter or anything like that 
and there's a sort of um, there's a kind of dark humour to it, a kind of um, grotesqueness. Right. That the that the film doesn't have. The film sort of tries to substitute in grimness, I suppose. Seriousness. Seriousness. Yeah. It takes it. I mean, I get the impression that although Alan Moore is very serious about his work, the work itself is not necessarily desperately po-faced. No, I don't think so. I think I think it's got a. I think it's got a good sense of humour. It's like it's like the comedian who's very serious about their job, but their job is telling jokes. Yeah. Whereas the film. Any, all the attempts at humour feel very flat and dull and forced and it doesn't feel like an adventure film it feels like a, a no that's true for, for something that, that bounces around the world or, or yes it does <laughs> well it, does, it bounces around the world and, and, and for something that is an adventure in theory it's not light and it's not I, I, sorry I don't mean comedic but it's, it's not sort of light on its feet it's not it, 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 should, it should feel Fleet-footed and brisk. Yes, I think so. Yeah, and uh, Be- because you can't add in all the details of the of the comic, and so you have to sort of. Well, I think you have to make the choice then. Well, we're yeah. going to do something where we can deliver this in two hours. I think I think that's the problem. Well, two hours. It's about it's an hour and three quarters, including the credits to begin. Mm, okay, yeah. And we spend the first half of the movie introducing all the characters, so that then by the time we we actually get around to getting on with the story, there's about fifty minutes of movie left. That's that's fair enough. I think I think also then, you know, you've got to then want to want to be on the adventure with these people, but they're not interesting enough. And no, because it's because challenge. it's poor faced and because, it's, it's... because because the characters are these great characters from from literature: Alan Quatermain, Mina Harker, a, a, a non copyright Invisible Man, yes, um, I like that. Doctor Jackie, Mister Hyde. They they are engaging characters. They should, or they have, they are in their own original works. But here they're just... Ugh. Everything feels like a contractual obligation. Yeah, I think... Well, it, it does, but also I think it just feels like, well... You know, there's, I mean, there's some things that are impressive about the set building and there's some things that are impressive about the, the special effects and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, it also feels like... I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not a director and I don't, I don't know enough about photography or, or, or set direction or anything like that, but it, it, it just felt like they were very constrained in what they could do like everything it's not that the shots are static so I'm not entirely sure what I, I mean when I'm talking about this but it, it just felt like everything was locked down as if they'd only built enough of the sets to have those specific camera angles yeah a bit like that yeah yeah I think so I just yeah I, again I, and, and, and also I, th- I think things like the, the, the fight sequences and things like that again they couldn't make them bloody, uh, no. you know, or anything like that. They couldn't, you know, because they, they couldn't risk their their rating, um, and therefore alienates on some part of a market and yeah. blah blah blah. So they're, they're constrained in that sense. Um, but that means you miss out the sort of cruel humour and the, and and as I say, the, the kind of grotesque things that are in the in the comic book. And so it's almost like it's systematically losing the elements that make the book. So interesting and engaging. Yeah, well, I, well, I, and also, also, it's not subtle in any way. There's no, um, yes, it's not subtle. Well, the, the book. I mean, I, <laughs> I did order volumes one and two mm. of the book about three weeks ago. They still haven't arrived. Okay. Uh, because the postman around here is a complete moron, and it's probably wound up in his <laughs> house underneath his bills. Fair enough. Okay. Um, 
I mean, the thing. I mean, the thing is, of course, we're talking about the film, so you can, you know, we, we, but because it's so linked to the, the to the to the work that it's a derivation well, of in some sense. Well, um, the book hasn't been around for that long because because now we're up to the fourth volume. I think it's coming out later this year. And the, the first two uh, been published when the film it, came out. It, yeah, it depends how you count it, actually. Well, I thought um, well, I'll, just, I'll read what had been published because yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I wanted to read the whole thing. Um, but um, from what I've seen of the book, it's immensely detailed. It's built this entire yeah. world where every, even like well, the background characters are all like based on like extras from standards. Every single character is based on a character from another work. Yes, yes, it's yeah, it's. Um, and here you just got Captain Nemo's first mate saying, "Oh hi, call me Ishmael." Yes, and it's that sort of thing. That sort of lack of subtlety, but also, I mean, the the, the, the difference between say the comic books where uh, Nina. Yeah. Um, has terrible scarring from her encounters with Dracula on, on her neck. Um, that's that's one thing. Uh, in the film, she turns into a flock of bats. That's the difference in in kind of. I see um, what you mean. That. Uh, in, well, she wears a scarf all the way through the film. She's always got her neck covered. And 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 that's that. So the that part of that is 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 in the comics, but, but the explanation isn't. <laughs> But but she doesn't turn into a flock of bats at any point. I, I, you know, I won't spoil it for you or, or any aspect of it. But, but, in, but in the book, she is a vampire, right? No. Right. Okay. Well, now, I'm sure there's loads of stuff in the back matter about. I'm sure in the book, that works perfectly. But in, in the film, the whole point is that they've all got these. Effectively, they've all got superpowers. Yes. Apart from Tom Sawyer. Who's a power? He's got gumption, though. Uh, his power appears to be that he's American. That's, can, that's a pretty can, good power. And can therefore sell the film in Duluth. Yes. There was a deleted scene, actually, where it turns out the Phantom of the Opera murdered Huckleberry Finn. All right. And, and not before time. Well, okay, but. I mean, that's forgivable. I, I, he's not. It's not terrible. No, well, actually, no. <laughs> it, is, it is bad, but it's. But, it's not unwatchable. But things have been. You know, expectations have been lowered or should have been lowered to the point where that is not it's not the standout terrible feature I don't think there is a standout terrible oh, feature I think I think there's a general it's generally mired in kind of badness mediocrity yeah yeah what did you feel about Sean Connery's casting as Quartermain um did you think it was a good choice do you think that he was throwing himself in the wrong famous do you, think he was sleep, do you think he was sleepwalking a bit? I think it was low energy. I think, mm. and and the the sort of the stories that go around is that he took it because he didn't really understand it, but he passed on the Matrix and I think Lord of the Rings as well, yeah. because he didn't really get what they were going for, and so he just said yes to the next big blockbuster thing that he didn't really get, and it turned out turned out to be this. Turned out to be this, but. I, I don't know. It, it depends. I mean, it, it, in some ways, you sort of think about Sean Connery on, on, on the screen. That's kind of interesting. But mm. once that fades away, you think, oh, he's as leaden as everybody else. And I, I don't. I don't know for for any of them if you can judge their acting ability or or anything based on what they put on screen, really. Because I think because I'm. I mean. I, I, again, you could argue all day long about you know whether they should rise above the material, or whether you know you know true star might be able to transform or something. But that aside, I just sort of thought, well, they're they're all kind of equally just 
Yeah, it's it's, it's fine, dead. but it's, it's kind of like with, 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 they're doing slightly more than the minimum. Yeah, um, Connery was paid seventeen million dollars for the movie. Okay, and that explains why most of the supporting cast aren't particularly well known. Um, name, well, name, name, name anything else with Peter Wilson in it. Who's Peter Wilson? She plays Mina. Oh, she was in the TV series Nikita. She was, yes. That's the only other thing that she's ever done of any. I know, but I, I, but, but, and she was last minute replacement for Monica Bellucci in this. Um, okay. I mean, I mean, the thing is, it's it's that's a hard thing to judge, right? Because, you know, the the, the life of being an actor, it's it's not like there aren't lots of very talented people that are. You know, they never make they, it. They never make it, or, yeah. or you know, are lumbered with bad stuff, and so you know they're not exactly shining because, you know, I I, I don't think in in any of, of any of the people in it you could really say that that really reveals what they're like as an actor no, because no, no. I think you know it, they, I mean they're already trying to make bricks without straw. It is noticeable how many people who worked on this movie whose careers have not recovered, or or but for, he, for whom this was. They were, they were poised for great things, or had done great things, and then there was just a big drop off after this. But even that, I think, is it's it's the, the sort of the stench of failure clings to people, fa- like fairly sometimes, but also unfairly as well. It's it's not necessarily anybody's fault if you're massively uh, expensive movie that you that you are at just what I mean you are just one part of it, even if you're the part that's on screen, even most. Um, if that is terrible, people just associate then the people that they've seen with, with, with some badness, and that's not necessarily fair. In the same way that some people, you know, can can be quite bad, um, but very very successful. Well, Stephen Norrington had uh, been a visual effects designer. Um, his directing debut was Blade. Okay. The first modern Marvel comics movie. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he yeah, made a small, low-budget film after that. And then his next big project was *The Rest of the Gentleman*, and he has not made a film since then, in any capacity, I believe. Yeah. Well, Sean Connery retired after making this film because he hated making it so much, and he and Norrington got into a fist fight on the set. But I, but I can understand the. Uh, I, again, that's that's not going to be conducive to whatever material you're working with getting a good interpretation of that on, on the screen. I, I think the thing is, when you watch movies and you're a sort of fan and you're not in the business or anything, we're not, you don't see this sort of the thousand people that are working behind the scenes for a year doing... No. Doing catering or doing, you know, um, joinery or um, being a, an electrician trying to, yeah. to sort things out. I mean, the, the things that you, you, you hear about are the director, the stars... Sometimes, if you've got an interest, you know the special effects and things like that. Mm. But I, I think you know it's perfectly possible to rinse tens and tens of millions of pounds, um, and the, and the project just doesn't come together for for, for perhaps a thousand different reasons. But what that means is you end up with a film uh, like it, the league, and um, but it, it does sound like they knew they were making a dog while they were making it, and it didn't help that while they were shooting in Prague the sets were flooded 
and the worst floods they've had in the Czech Republic in a hundred years, and they had to rebuild almost all the sets from scratch. Sure, but I mean, even then, you sort of think, well, I mean, there's nothing. It, it just adds, yeah, it adds so much more risk to the budget. I mean, it obviously, yeah, course, yeah. not that they could have done anything about it, but but even if you're doing, uh, you know, pre-production and you're sort of getting people signed up, and there'll be lots of these, uh, there'll be you know various clauses of you know um, people sign on, and you can't just say. Well, we've we've kind of looked into this now properly, and it turns out this is going to be bad. So we're just going to stop. The I mean, that has happened. Yes, I mean it certainly can, but but I think lots of people will power through, and lots of people also like investors will say, well, you know, I don't want to get nothing for my investment. People do throw you know good money after bad, but I mean films are a business, and they're not a pure sort of artistic endeavor, and so no, no, it'd be it'd be great if loads of the, I mean, there's loads of movies where it'd be great if someone just went, "This just isn't working. It's just not good. Let's let's stop. Let's release everybody and let's just not mm. put this out." But you've got loads of people that say, "Well, we've worked on this for a year." Well, you'll be paid for your work. I mean, it's like all the people who are like paid for putting up sets and things. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you'll you'll get paid for your work. Don't worry. It's just that we're going to tear your sets down. <laughs> well, true. But but I'm sure there will be loads of people there. There'll be all sorts of contracts about who gets paid at what point and mm. something has to be complete for such and such. Um, you know, uh, I'm sure special effects companies are forever dealing with people changing their mind at the last minute. Oh, yeah. Well, special network. effects companies get a very raw deal. Yeah, I think they do. I think they do. <coughs> or uh, most of them, at least. Um, but but again, <laughs> again, you've got a thousand different factors for the add-up to what is not a good movie. But the main... Influences on the movie are inevitably going to be the director and the star. Yeah, okay, okay. And I think that if there is bad feeling between them, that percolates down. Yeah. Um, the DVD has a couple of commentaries on it which I listened to. Um, one by some of the senior artistic staff is very boring. And all I learned is that an inordinate effort was expended on making sure that everyone had period type fabric in their costumes and on the other one there was a lot of um, patronising from Shane West who plays Tom Sawyer said oh we changed it oh but it's only a comic book it's only fantasy it doesn't matter um, and I want to punch him forever <laughs> well uh, on your first point I mean it's nice that they were making a much of an effort but it would be also nice if it was on a film where it was going to be worthwhile. True, but but let's say you've been hired to to do a job. Yes, yeah, I mean, that people are doing think, doing their best. But also, I, I mean, I, I am kind of interested in. I think, I think my biggest it wasn't that it was, it was just a boring commentary. <laughs> oh sure, but but again, I mean, it's it's it, it might be taking people that are not are not really interested in in doing a commentary or not you know haven't done one before or you know lots of people aren't great at speaking about their work necessarily but I mean personally although I have no expertise and no sort of proper frame of reference for everything I am kind of interested in clothes on film and, and, and I think sometimes when you because I like things like sci-fi and fantasy and, and things like that but also you know historical stuff um, I think that there are loads of examples where you can see that just, I mean, they're not wearing a pair of jeans, but they are—they are wearing something that's wrong, or looks wrong, or it looks like a, a a costume. When it should look like clothes. When it should look like clothes, and I'll be honest, in in the league, 
the everyone looks like it, it worked. I mean, it, it certainly. I mean, I think that aspect of it worked at least. I've, I, it felt costumed. It felt, it felt stylized. I think St- uh, stylized. Yes, I think, but I, I not, not in a, not in a realistic sense. though You don't think so? Okay. No. I mean, it didn't look bad. I mean, the design. No, no, no. The designs were really good. That no, but I. But what, what I mean is, I think it was it was sort of consistent. It was stylized. I Internally think. consistent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But no, but I think that's okay. I mean, I think. Yeah, it just makes it harder to get invested in. I think if if you're just getting the sense that you're watching something that's false. And, yes, but and because that, and, and, and also because there's no emotional engagement anywhere in the movie. Fair enough, but I think it's that sort of say the costuming where you think that's kind of comic booky hmm. because comic books are in general sort of broad, broad strokes and, uh, and things are heightened so I think that was that was okay but it has to then match up the other stuff and, and it didn't so well how do you feel about some of the throwaway references to other fiction like um, how they managed to get to I think it was Venice or no, they have, when they retrieve Quartermain from Africa and he gets back to London, says, oh, I got here quicker, quicker than Phileas Fogg. They're all, I mean, they're all, that's my noise. I listen, mean, listener, he made that noise out of his mouth. Yes, that's true. Um, they're, all, they're all clunky, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, they it's, none it, of them slide in. Um, you know the right Colby Ishmael things he, yeah, he just, the, the script writer has never worked on another movie as well again even that might be unfair because I mean it might be fair but it might be unfair as well because you know they can write a thing and say well okay I, 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 I've got an idea of how you know the rhythm of the words will work and, and how this will fit into a scene um, but then you have to be backed up by the direction and, and the cast and everything like that and if it's not Fighting properly, I mean, I mean, any you could, you, could, I mean, you could take Hamlet and you could deliver a terrible, terrible Hamlet, um, and you wouldn't say that. Well, it might be, it might be, but but you wouldn't say, oh, that Shakespeare guy doesn't know his stuff. Not hiring him again. Well, that's the the rule about um, good and bad scripts is that you can make. Try make sure I get this the right way around. Um, a good script will survive bad production because there will still be enough interest in the actual dialogue and characters to make it through bad direction and bad acting. But a bad script cannot be elevated by good production because it forms, I think because it forms that, the foundation. That might be true in a lot of cases, but I, but I still think you can, you can take a good script and you can still mangle it. Or, and I, I mean, I'm not, this is, I'm not sort of, I'm not really trying to defend the, the, the script of the league, but but also an okay script that has to have particular... And, and I think this happens a lot in, in big blockbusters because, um, I mean, yes, there are loads of blockbusters where you think, well, they should have spent more time, you know, they should have spent a fraction of money they were spending on that car chase or, you know, that alien spaceship exploding, just putting more work into the script. There are loads of ones like that. But also... Because these are such big productions, I think there is an aspect of the script writing which is mechanical. It's a sort of an engineering thing. We say, well, this will work, but it's you know this is not the this is not the finest thing ever put to paper. But it will it will get this bit out of the way within sixty seconds in such a way that the characters have to move 
here, you know, it, the scriptwriter isn't isn't just free to do what they want and say, well, this is the best thing I can do with these characters. In some ways, they say, well, cut that because we're not doing that scene. That will cost us too much. Mm. You've got to have this person in, in this because they're guaranteed X amount of screen time. You've got to have this bit of dialogue because we can't fit it anywhere else. So you've just got to have it in somebody's mouth. It's, uh, it's much more an act of engineering rather than creativity. It can't. It can, well, it can't. I, th- I think. I think in the, in the case of this film, it is because you have to have all these, all these elements, all these nuts and bolts, all working together. And you're working from a pre-existing story. I think that it was a bad choice of screenwriter. I think they should have had someone who is much more a, like a nuts and bolts technician type writer, who knows how to get all the pieces working. Um, like. Um, yeah, I suppose you could have got J.J. Abrams at the time. Oh, possibly. Because he was still like, he was still doing a lot of script doctory stuff. Oh, possibly. Um, I mean, um, but, but, but again, that, the more money you chuck at these, pro- the bigger the project gets, the more I think... Screen I think Screenwriters do not cost much money. No, 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 the screenwriters don't, but the more money that gets chucked at it, because they, 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 they generally are quite low to the... Uh, you know, they're, they're sort of on the bottom of the low, pile. Low on the packing order, yeah. Yeah, I think the more money you chuck at it, that actually then becomes harder for you, you to sort of, for the scriptwriter to 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 sort of fight that corner because because if you if the more money you're tracking at it and now you've got um, you know uh, uh, an assistant director who's actually quite powerful because they're actually having to do some some pretty big things and even a second director who's having to do some pretty big uh, 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 things uh, your your units are getting bigger you've uh, now got a special effects um, supervising editor or, or, or you know a hundred different jobs where they're saying well you know our worth to this project is $10 million because that's how much has to get plowed in to get this done mm. and all of a sudden you've got the scriptwriter who is essentially it's their salary and it's just their words on paper and they and they, they sort of get less and less powerful the bigger the, bigger the movie gets I, I think in, in lots of circumstances yeah. because you can even then the person who's creating the story that is supposed to drive everything then isn't in a very good position to argue against somebody who is doing something that you know now has a lot of money behind it but only exists because of the necessity of the plot yeah sorry that might not have made much sense but I just I can understand that you know if you start spending a hundred million dollars on things it's it's not like you go well now we'll chuck more and more money at the screenwriter well that's well that's the thing where you make sure that the script is good enough before you start spending that much money ideally or, or yes. at least you know you have a detailed script breakdown. You know, right? This, these are what the scenes are all going to be. So you can really write individual scenes as you go that change dialogue and that kind yeah. of thing. And you can kind of do that on the fly. But you have to have the full sweep of the story in place. And I don't think that, in the case of the league, that was the case when they were actually building sets and hiring actors and then figuring all that out. And, and also, I mean, who knows if the screenwriter was on set at any point? I believe he was. Yeah, but I mean, that could... Okay, maybe he was, but it could have been a couple of days out of a multi-week shoot. Yeah, because, I mean, I mean, certainly when... Um, so one of the things is when Deadpool... Um, oh, one of the stories that went around uh, Deadpool, which suddenly became this very, very successful in the yeah. R-rated um, uh, superhero movie, but a superhero movie that was different um, that they sac- that um, the director and Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds, I think, sacrificed some of their salary to pay for the scriptwriters to come to set, to just be on set. 
because there was improvisation and various yeah. other things and, and, and you say well that seems perfectly sensible but the studio originally considered we've got a script that is their job done they're, they're, they're out of it mm. now and writers aren't valued as much as they should be I think that's another issue yes I think so I, I, yes, I, I, yes I definitely think so but just the, but just the idea of you know I, I'm not sure I'm not saying that the script uh, was markedly different from from what was just, on, on, on screen, but but punching it up, really, just giving a little, yeah. little extra burst of energy. Yeah, or just the ability it. for the director or producer to say, "What, like, what, what did you mean by this?" Mm. You know, because the, there's got to be some subtext to some aspect of, well, of it, it's maybe. So, but but you know, just I mean, literally, just the idea of of having the person supervising it to be able to say, "Just check the interpretation of this," or. Or when you say, well, okay, that's not going to work out because we're rebuilding the set, so let's get the original person back in yeah. to, to, this, to rework it. This or... line doesn't have the, the right kind of punch to, to end the scene in the right way. Can you rework it or come up with something better? And, yeah. yeah. And if you've got two writers as well, that, everything works much faster because yeah. it's, it's much easier when you've got someone to talk to. Well, there's, there's that as well, but, but yeah. Yeah, just the idea that, you know... Uh, just the idea that you know, given the relative cheapness of that compared to you know, rebuilding a set perhaps, or or you know, or renewing special effects, just the idea that you wouldn't be able to turn to the person that wrote it and go, "Well, we we think we need something slightly different here. We'd like to go to you, the professional writer, <laughs> to, to, who has also done the original draft, you know, um, to 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 rework it." Mm. Again, I think I think it's telling that, that we were talking a lot about the movie making process <laughs> rather than moving. Yeah. Well, Which we know very little about, let's be honest. You know, we are we're outsiders. No, we're you, outsiders, you, you right? You speak for yourself. Okay, right, fair enough. Um, that's true. Your your alter ego is in fact Robert De Niro. <laughs> or yes. whenever I whenever I eat a banana, I turn into Robert De Niro. Yes, that's that's Ninety-five percent. Banana Man has appeared in references in a number of recent cinema episodes. All right. Okay. Um, and, um, Shazam, the upcoming uh, DC Comics mm-hmm. film, is basically Banana Man because he's a kid who makes a wish and turns into an adult superhero. Okay, but I mean, Banana Man is younger. Shazam is much older, I think. Banana Man is Shazam. Banana Man is. Oh, right, the character, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Banana Man, I think it was about 1970, late, late 70s, I think. Wow, that's, that's a good trivia one. We'll find out which case. The cartoon series is about 82, 83, and it would already been around in the dandy. Anyway, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the Banana Man movie. Yeah. Um, well, we have our range of characters who are finally mm-hmm. introduced about an hour into the movie. And we've got... Alan Quatermain, Mina Harker, who's a chemist now in one scene, because she has yeah. to have something to do other than being a vampire and turning into a cloud. Mm-hmm. She doesn't do any of the traditional vampire stuff. Does she drink blood? She yeah, but she doesn't turn into a wolf or like a cloud of gas, which Dracula does in the book. He turns into a cloud and menaces people. Yeah. Well, that's all good stuff. Um, she walks around in daylight as well, which Dracula does in the book. Uh, yeah, well, the, the whole daylight thing—that's from Nosferatu, yeah, isn't it? But it's the film never seems to settle on exactly what 
She's what the situation? Up. She's ba- a vampire. She's a vampire, and she's got like whatever rules that are that we decide. Yeah, the same way that the 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 Invisible Man, the the an Invisible Man that we're introduced to in the movie spends a lot of the time wandering around in the nib, and it is only briefly referred to once when he's wandering around in the frozen Arctic, naked. Yeah, I mean. It's like you need to remember. Those special that effects are expensive. It's much easier. <laughs> couldn't he just have like some invisible clothes that he could wear? But that doesn't make any sense. Well, it would mean that he <laughs> isn't wandering around in the free. I mean, because it. I mean, it's all right. You just. Uh... It's like there was a TV show called The Vanishing Man, about a man who became visible, and he had some invisible clothes. But they were the clothes that he was wearing when he was made invisible. Um, and same in Memoirs of an Invisible Man. He's got the suit that he was wearing. Yeah, but it doesn't need to be. Uh... But it, it but it means that he's not running around in a frozen tundra, naked and presumably barefoot. He would have been dead before he got back to them in that camp. Yeah, I mean, I can... Yeah, yeah it's an issue, perhaps. Um, I keep saying an invisible man. He's not the invisible man. No, because... Get the, get the rights. Yeah, because although... The book, H.G. Wells' book, is in the public domain. The film rights are not. Mm. So they had to change him from being Griffin, the unscrupulous, insane scientist, to jovial Cockney thief Rodney Skinner, who was nearly played by Eddie Izzard. Uh, I'm not sure I would have wanted that. Well, he's basically the comic relief. And it yeah, wouldn't but have it's not hurt. funny. It, it wouldn't, yeah, but it wouldn't have hurt to have... I mean, I think Tony Curran's really good. Um, oh yeah, I'm not. I'm, and he's, you know. he's actually very funny on the commentary. Um, but I think if he's a comic relief, it wouldn't hurt to actually make have him written as being funny. <laughs> yes. And a casting a comedian who can maybe ad lib some funny bits. Maybe, yeah, but again, I, I can see the I can see the logical process behind that. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, it would have helped to have a sort of bit of light and shade in terms of. In terms of the sort of the voices of people, yeah, I mean, because it's, all, like, cause it's have, all very somber and all Nemo, Nemo is very serious, and that's fine. But everyone else is quite serious as well. Yes. You've got Jackal, who is really glum and uninterested and pessimistic. Yes. You've got Quatermain, who is boring. Well, he, M- he he's Mina, like Mina, a grumpy old man. Yeah, Mina, who has no discernible personality. No. Tom Sawyer who's American and I don't mean that in the pejorative sense I just mean that in that that is the only thing that he is he is an American well he's kind of young and inexperienced and kind of enthusiastic is he that enthusiastic? no what, I mean, well, he's, I mean, he's, he's sort of an adventurer his, his character kind of... well he's meant to be a secret service agent yeah and he's also extremely young for a secret service agent apparently, apparently the um, uh, Mark Twain did eventually write a book about Tom Sawyer as an adult being a detective. Right. Yeah. So it's not without precedent, but it, he just seems it's a bit young for being a Secret Service agent. And Shane West isn't a particularly good actor, which is why well, he's mainly working in television. It's not. I mean, it's not his. It's not his youth so much as his. Um, his sort of why, experience or his greenness. Like, why is he the one that has just come to Europe to? Is his wide-eyedness? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Well, he's got this. He, well, he's motivated by wanting. Well, that's the thing. He wants revenge on the Phantom for murdering his friend, but they cut that out, so he has no real motivation at all. Yeah. And also, but but just the idea that like, you don't get to 
you don't get, <laughs> you don't necessarily you don't get to do important things of which, which within the realm of the film this is an important mission you don't get to just do important things and be on important missions because you want to it's it, it you know well, it's if he, if he was a private adventurer that's the thing that then that would be well he's motivated by his own desire to go and see the world or, or do adventures but but the idea is that he, he is essentially working for a government branch <laughs> and he, he just he kind of wants it and you think well that means that he's the best person that they could send that's the slightly or, odd one or it could be that he re- lobbied really hard for this because his partner was murdered but to, but to change him to being too much of an adventurer that then makes the parallel between him and Quatermain's dead son, which is already quite obvious. It mm. makes it just thuddingly ridiculous. Yeah, okay. Because Quatermain has outlived his son, who was killed or murdered or you know, died of malaria uh, or something, and his wife is dead as well. Mm. So now he's living in a gentleman's club in the middle of the desert in Prague. Yeah. Okay. Apparently, I I I, I may have misheard, but on the commentary they say, "Oh yeah, we shot the scene like a, like ten miles outside Prague." Are you sure? Because it looks a lot like Kenya. <laughs> well, it's. Uh, I I mean, I thought that was kind of funny. That it might be Malta because they filmed some of the 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 the, the, the sea scenes were filmed in Malta. Yeah. The rest of the movie was made in Prague. Yeah. I mean, I mean that aspect. I mean that was kind of. The Gentleman's Club. Oh well, well, yeah, yeah. I don't have a problem with that. I like that as a setting. But then they have a huge firefight. But then it turns out later in the story, but that they were actually trying not to kill Quatermain. Mm. That scene was just an action scene that they had there. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, and it's like and like later on when the Phantom's trying to blow up Venice again, that serves no real purpose in the story and doesn't really make any sense. It's just to have some action there. Oh yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think any of it makes any sense. I'm not could sure. The, it does. Could the Phantom have just because his plan. gone on with his plan without the League's involvement? Well, no, because his plan was to get all the League together so he can harvest bits of their um, skill. Yeah, but, bits he of their DNA but he didn't. But he didn't need to actually bring them together. He needed the people. He didn't actually need them to to bring them together and then send them somewhere. Yes, that's true. He could have just said, we need to collect you together, now you're on standby. Just wait for the call. You don't need to send on the mission at all. But you're right. It, like, it, yeah, just like scratch a bit of something off. Um, what do they need from Mina Harper anyway? They need some of her blood? Yes, yeah, so Vampire so. people, they need a bit of... But like, so for like, like Skinner, couldn't they have just said, well, here is X amount of money, we'd like to take some tissue samples. And, and the whole thing was that he was on board anyway because they promised him a cure. So yeah. he was just locked down anyway. Yeah. And fair enough, okay, he needed some, some sort of fairly skilled people to capture Hyde, but doesn't that suggest that, I mean, wouldn't they at least send just a bunch of squaddies, first of all? Or No, they have to send the world's greatest marksman who doesn't shoot him. Does he? No, but no, but no, but that's that's okay. That's not a bad thing because he's shooting to, to steer him. Oh, yeah, that's, because, that's fine. Because he's a hunter rather than yes. Well, he's a great marksman. He's a hunter, so yes. he has to capture animals. Um, and Nemo, what do they want? They just they want, want to te- they want his technology. Yeah, I mean, all of those bits make sense, but it just seems bad move to get everybody in the same place and mm. sort of attack them as a team. So, what's the plot? What's like the main driving force of the plot in the book? In the first book. Well, I, d- I don't want this. Sp- there is an aspect of what they're doing in the film. But so, 
Um, the book is about 20 years old. Don't worry about spoilers. Well, it, it, it's, it's, it's largely the same in that um, M is Moriarty and he's developing uh, weapons and he's going to sort of take over by sort of subterfuge and he's, he's, um, he's uh, got an army uh, in... in um, Mongolia. No, 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 he's got an army in um, Limehouse. Oh, right, yeah, because that's a lot more accessible by submarine, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, but... I, you know, going in, I think going into the comics, we just we spend all of our time talking about that. It's it's, it, I, I, and again, there's there's a there's a sort of there's a humour to it. There's a more of a Britishness to it. There's um, uh, in terms of references, but also wider references in terms of um, sort of literary references. It 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 all creates a different sort of flavour to it. Right. I mean, again, so in in the. Um, one of the latest Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. Yes, it has a very similar plot about, a about planning, plot. planning for a world war. Yeah, but that's another film where you think, well, the tone is different and the the, the rhythm of it and the the, the and, and, you know things like similar cinematography and mm. effects and all that sort of stuff. But the, but there's a there's a at least a sort of more of a playful kind of thing to there it. There is a light, there is a slightly lighter tone. It doesn't take itself as seriously. Well, yeah, and, and again, it's 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 sort of faster. The, the, there is more of an adventure to it. Mm. This is very, it's 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 plodding. Um, they they talk on the commentary about the notion of the boy's own adventure, and it's really funny to hear Americans trying to explain it very badly. Um, this doesn't feel like a boy's own adventure. The um, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes films do. They do feel like you know daring do and adventures and dastardly yeah foreigners and that kind of thing. Whereas this feels like it, it, it doesn't have, it doesn't have the the fleet footedness. Like I said, it, it, yeah. it has so much it feel. It's because everything's so serious, and it feels like everyone's trying to make it important, and the result is that it just it's far too leaden. But um, but also also if you if you're going to have a sort of adventure, uh, you can have maybe two or three let's say teams even if that team is just one person and so you can have them sort of split up and yeah. recombine but the more people you add to it the, the more people you have to keep track of and the more people you have to justify to the audience well that's why these guys are paired up and that's why these guys are paired up and that's what's happening now and remember those folk well at the city you, you know you have more moving parts and you have the, you know now, now you're dealing with a football team <laughs> but rather, rather, because because lots of these kind of boys of uh, adventure type things are, uh, you know, Premier but, League. Oh dear. Sorry, that took a while. Oh dear. Um, but you know, when you have when you have a when you have people going off on their own adventure, like yeah. a lot of the time, I mean, things like around the world in eighty days and, and stuff like that. When you look back on them, you sort of think, well, there, there's some problematic bits to that. And and even if you wrote it as sensitively as possible, there still is the idea that you're essentially sending people out, and they kind of break things. And the I mean, you've got to have an explosion and a chase scene and, and all that sort of stuff at various points. So the, you know, they're not um, that they are kind of destructive in, in in some sense. This is this is just a minor point, but I, I think it, you know, you, you throw these people out, and they they, they will learn, and their characters will change, and they will maybe achieve something. They'll complete a quest or mm. or, or something. And they leave a trail of destruction in their wake, um, and that's quite tricky to do if you have 
something set in the Victorian era and you uh, bring in um, uh, an Indian uh, captain um, who's going to be treated badly and then you kind of run around Europe uh, destroying things and then there's the looming horror of a world war coming. I mean, that's not... It, it's, it's a tricky one. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure how you balance the, the sort of... The, the fun with the idea of, you know, you're kind of messing things up for other people. Mm. And, I, and I think in this, it, it became plodding and then, you know, the, 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 the idea of referring to the, you know, essentially what's going to be a First World War and, you know, even now when they succeed, they might have just put it off. So yeah. thinking, I, you're, you're trying to allude to something as if that, I mean, that will sort of ground it or make it more... Or are you trying to get people to go, oh, yeah, I recognise what you're talking about. There must be a name for that when you just, when you just make an allusion for something to, for people just to recognise that that's the, all the feeling you're going for. Mm. But at the same time, what they're talking about is the First World War. It's horrific. Yeah. And, and the idea that you're going, oh, well, you know, there might be a World War coming sometime. Yeah, there was. <laughs> and it was terrible. And <laughs> that's not a funny thing. You know, it, again, you just... There's that just one tone to everything. Yeah. What did you think of the um, portrayal of Moriarty? Uh, Moriarty? Yeah. Um, I mean, he was sort of a pointless cartoon film with so many layers of nonsense. So he's, he's a, he spends most of the film impersonating two other characters. Yeah, I mean, the only time when I felt for him was at the end when he was in the space in Mongolia. <laughs> Where he's in his sort of living room that's kind of done up like a quite a nice Victorian living room. Oh, yeah. And, they, and then people are, you know, the league are coming in and blowing things up and spoiling his plans. And he's just like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> and that's the point where I thought, yeah, I mean, you've made a lot of work for yourself here. <laughs> and it's it's coming crashing down. But I can understand that, oh, can't we just shoot these people? Um, I mean, he's a baddie, but at least that bit is re- relatable. Mm. I suppose he's I mean I've not I've not read the Sherlock Holmes stories in which he appears but I'm fairly sure there was more to him than just he's bad well he's the Napoleon of crime he really loves dressing up um but (laughs) again again it's it's somebody that's called Moriarty I, you know, it's it's for that flash of recognition. Exactly. Yeah, it is like Tom Sawyer's got nothing really to do with the the characters they're popularly known. Mm. And and in the in the comic book, there is you you can play with that, and there's there's a there's a, a, a sort of humour and and kind of darkness and kind of darkly comic aspect of taking things that people know and kind of twisting it a little bit, or or kind of adding to it, or 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 when you're trying to get all these people to inhabit the same world, how they would bounce off each other. There's got to be something interesting to add. Mm. You know, that you, you can't just be sort of nudging the audience going, yeah, you've you kind of heard of this. Remember this? Yeah. God, don't get me started on Ready Player One. Well, so, so I haven't seen it, but, 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 I do know that, and, but I do know that lots of criticisms of the book are, well, it's, it's, it's you know, sort of nostalgia and, and, and it is very much do you guys remember this when you were growing up rather than actually having a story have, or... you know you, using it but as I say I mean I haven't seen that but but I think again it's like well you, you got rid of the humour you couldn't do 
the kind of grotesque of the darker comic stuff. You couldn't do the level of detail of work. You couldn't do the level of detailing. Um, Maybe this was never really suitable to work as a film. No, absolutely not. No. So even if even if you had a really good screenwriter who to put great effort into seeing how this 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 web of characters could work together, a really strong director, a good ensemble cast, you think that it still wouldn't have worked? Yes. I, I think that it could have been made to work. It could have been made much better, but I think you're still going to reach something that's disposable. You're not going to reach something that's on the level of the book. I mean, that that should go without saying. Yeah. But I mean, the the thing that makes me think of and it's why this hopefully this podcast is neatly timed is this will come out the day that um, Avengers Infinity War comes out mm-hmm. and with at least the first two Avengers movies you have these huge casts yeah. of characters and yet the story is able to coordinate all of them in their own storylines until they actually flow together Yes, but and that's a sense where, you, where or that seems to be there is a sense of a, a, a lot of engineering with the scripts. Where you, it where you, feel where, like that. No, 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 no. But that, but that's the good thing. It's, it's, it's not, it's not obvious. But, but there must be like behind the scenes. Oh, yes. you've got a whole bunch of people that that really like what they're doing. I think that's clear as well. Mm-hmm. That they they want to show off Marvel characters. They work for Marvel. They are. It's their characters. They want to show this off, um, and you've got a knowledgeable and enthusiastic pr- creative, producers, creative, creative, creative sort of brain trust of people going. Well, this has to happen, and this has to happen, and here's the tone for this, and we can take a risk with this, and we can, you know, we, you know, X, Y, Z has to happen, but but within that you're you're free. Right. I mean, over time, these things begin to weigh we down a little bit. Mm. But there's some what, 18 movies into it, or 14 or 15, or I don't know, something like that. Um, uh, Infinity will be the 19th. Right, okay, so. But because I don't think any of the Avengers movies, I think um, Age of Ultron, I think, introduced one, but they've all introduced characters in other movies. Whereas in the League, we're seeing all of these for the first time. Well, I mean, obviously not the totally original, but they're all being introduced at once. Yeah, and, and in fact, that's the same, uh, or one of the same problems with the Justice League, the, the DC. Yes, they're, 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 they're trying to jump to the Avengers straight away and not do, not do the groundwork of the first six movies. Yes. Five run. Um, in fact, Batman vs. Superman, I would say, even before that, because I've introduced Batman and Wonder Woman and Lex Luthor and, all, and this whole world building stuff all at once. Whilst also doing a Superman story, yes, I, I, think, that, I, I think that's true. I think, I think, I mean, I haven't seen Justice League of you. Yes. Wow, it's the second person I've met who's seen it. Um, what did you think? Was it great? No, oh, it wasn't. No. <laughs> breeze. But it's no, it's no, it's not. It's not good. Um, I mean, the thing is, I mean, I, I with with even with the league. Um, Australian gentleman this is they're both leagues aren't they they are both leagues yeah maybe that's the, maybe oh, that's, that's, the that's the thing but even with the league of Australian gentlemen no I, I, I'm sorry I forget what I was going to say okay. because I was just I was just sort of overwhelmed by the Justice League nonsense no what I, I actually what I meant was that that um, because I am such a I'm a big comic fan I'm a big superhero fan I'm a big like, sci-fi and fantasy and all that sort of stuff 
So I, I don't always have my critical faculties engaged when I go into these things because because just the joy of seeing things on on screen overwhelms some of that for me. And I and I certainly and and there is something sort of counterintuitive in me that I, I was always a Marvel person. Um, I like Batman. Mm. Um, never been interested in Superman apart from a few things by Grant Morrison. And, and, but but anyway, you, you know, you've got slightly different issues there. Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman—they are these kind of icons, and they're trapped in a slightly different age of comics. In in, in popular imagination, not in a, uh, not in the actual stuff that's been produced, but then the Marvel stuff. Um, loads of that stuff was lesser known. I mean, everybody knew who Spider-Man was, but they didn't really know who Iron Man was. But I, because I really liked that stuff, just seeing that stuff on screen, I, 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 you know, I go to all of these things, even if I think that some of the films aren't super good, I, I will go and see all of them because I just, I just kind of love it. And even the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I'm still sort of kindly disposed to it. I even, even when I was watching it in preparation, um, you know, for this, thinking, well, I'll, I'll rewatch it to make sure I, you know, I have we have we thought about it. I I still was like, oh, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt for this, and and it, even when there are things that are rubbish, I'm still thinking, oh, that's kind of well, it's it's fine because, because of the because, because I like the source because of the source material, yeah, core cool concept, yeah. So I'm not I'm I'm definitely not objective, and still things like. <laughs> The league shine in their awfulness. If if that makes any sense as a phrase, they, they they still stand out as this isn't this isn't good. And the thing is, and it's even weirder than that. I mean, sorry, this is diverting somewhat, but because I like the Marvel stuff so much, and I just like seeing it on screen, there is a bit of a sort of a, a counterpoint to me. It's like, well, I'm I'm going to enjoy the DC stuff because. Because that's how much of a comic fan I am. I'm going to, I'm going to be the one that defends it. Going, well, you don't get it, guys. You, it, this is fine. This is good. Even that isn't enough to to break through. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I've I've never thought of myself as being partisan in, the, in this sort of way because I mean, I I never read comic books at all. I right. read, I read the Beano. Okay. Um, so I I'll quite happily go and watch a DC movie or, or a Marvel movie, and it'll it'll be purely based on. Merit, yeah. Obviously, recently the Marvel movies have generally been quite good, and DC movies have been generally pretty awful. Yeah, I think that's more because of the creative people in charge. But no, but I think it, it really is. I think I think at the end of the day, I mean, you end could, up not being able to make excuses, and you just say, "Well, the DC stuff just it it doesn't it doesn't work but, what they're doing." But my point is that if the creative stuff had been working the other way around, my lo- my you know, my interest wouldn't change. Yeah, if the Marvel movies were consistently crap, and the DC movies were consistent were consistently good. Yeah. I wouldn't, you know, I thought, yeah, the DC movies are great. You think about all those Marvel ones with their great characters. I mean, yeah. So there's no, there's no particular... I think I would have been an apologist it's like, <laughs> for it's, years. It's, it's like the way I've been with Doctor Who. There was a, like a two-year period recently where I was on the verge of falling out of love with Doctor Who because the TV series was getting really ropey. Right. Um, and even even there, I don't have... So yeah, yes, I get it. I, I, loyalty. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I would just... I mean, I haven't seen Doctor Who for a long time, but... I know that I've made a note of that for future reference. <laughs> but if I watched that, I would just be watching it like, oh, here's a thing. Like, I kind of know what it's about. Uh, t- what's the individual 40 minutes going to show, or 40, yeah. 50 minutes going sh- to show me? Um, yes, I'm not coming to it with... With the, uh, the, tw- with the, the 20, 25 years of... Yeah. Love yeah. Thing. yeah. But again, with the, the, the League, 
I think I am more kind of disposed to it, and I still... It's, you, it still can't get over the hump of it yeah. being crap. Yeah. I mean, the thi- I mean, things like... One of the ones that I, that I hadn't really thought about until I rewatched it recently was, you know, when they're in Venice. Venice. I mean, Venice is it's sort of a unique city, and it's, yeah. and, it, and it, 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 it is special. I mean, I mean, the fact that it allows the Nautilus to drive up the canals. I mean, it wouldn't. That's no, not how we, boats work. They have, they have bridges there as well. There's that. Well, they've got the bit when it scrapes the bridge. But but anyway, but and the canals are only like eight or nine feet deep, aren't they? I'm not sure how deep the deepest ones would be, but you you, you can't get that Nautilus, which seems to be about eight stories tall. Giant monster yeah. submarine. But also, just it's it's a beautiful city, and it looks amazing in the sun, and it's and um, you look at the Canaletto paintings of Venice. That's that's what Venice is like. It's yeah. you, you know, and, and the idea of the oh, okay, the um, a Venetian balls kicking off that everyone seems to be dressed in okay. mud cut mud coloured clothes, and it's just, and you know, you've blown up most of Venice in a kind of weird thing that doesn't seem to make much sense and, yeah. and we're using sonar to... Well, there's all sorts of problems with what the, the plan is there and the counter plan and all sorts of things. But it's not fun in any way. It, it, it's, you know, here's Venice at night, but everything is made out of grey, gravity. It's, yeah, it's so grim to look at. I mean, that's the yeah. issue with having to film on location prior yeah. and on set. But, but again, you could then say, OK, well... It, it, it's set in a parallel universe. It's set in a different world. You think, well, that okay, fine, but then, but, but then, then it's the, not heightened enough to, to be comic booky. It's just but and if you drab. Change, and if you change it too much, then it's it's harder to be emotionally invested in. Yes, because you're not. Yes, because they're not saving kind of this world, if you like. Well, and the thing is, the thing is, the comic book again, it, it is quite a different place. There's, there's different influences and things are, are going on, but you, you're still drawn into it. Well, that's because, because of the, the way the characters are written, so that you're emotionally engaged with that. Yeah. And that makes you engaged with what happens to the characters and what happens to the world. Whereas here, there's not enough work into making the characters interesting. Yeah. So many of them are just blanks. Yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. What about Dorian Gray? What do you think of him? <laughs> in terms of having to add another character in who fits into the, the sort of the, the, he's, the, he's the, a, the I, style I think he's a good choice yes absolutely. a new character yes absolutely is he in the book at all? no I mean oh. there's, a, there's a reference to, oh, to, right. to Dorian Gray but um, I mean, I think he but not, he's not a character no he's not a character in that sense um, so he he fits um and certainly I sort of thought originally, well, that's, that's good, that was quite clever. And then, but recently I've, I, I've been thinking, well, how clever is it really? I mean, it, it's I mean, quite a well-known character from around that, that time. You know, if you're going to have to add someone in, you get a list of the people that you can get the rights to, and it works-ish. But it doesn't, it doesn't make the film any more fun. <laughs> no, I think the, the, the issue is that they needed a character to uh, turn out to be a traitor. And the easy way to do that without upsetting too many people is to put in a new character and have them be the traitor. And it's the, alter- the, the only alternative, which is one of the film's few moments of intrigue, is that it could be Skinner, which they can get away with because he's not the invisible man from the book. Yes. He's different, he's someone else. So, it, you know, it's a murder mystery where there are two suspects. Yes. And, and they immediately think it's one of them, so it's obviously yeah. the other. But then you've got a traitor, and then also M, 
Moriarty, the Phantom, is also betraying everybody. Yeah. And also, was it Reed? The chap at the start of that? His name? Sanderson Reed. Yeah. Is so he, Is he from something? I don't know. <laughs> I, on, the, on the way here, I was thinking, what happens to him in the film? And I like, I don't care. Well, you see him in the background of the, um, the message that is confusing me show where Em's recorded that message but we see it as like a flickery black and white film oh yes yeah, 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 yeah. and standing in the background oh yeah film. but that it's was actually in, a film but that was in London oh yes but that, I never see him again no that's the thing but I, and so I was wondering what happens to him but, but realised I didn't care well, he hired like an know. android um, housekeeper doesn't he Tom Goodman Hill is in Humans oh right sorry okay <laughs> <laughs> that's that's too obscure sorry yes that hit TV show is very obscure coming this May on Channel 4 yeah so it's things like that so you're right that, that idea of them being a traitor and, and people turning their suspicions against each other and eventually leading to a stronger bonding of the, the, the team and then they leap into action that's all good stuff in theory that's all um, that's... You know, part of the mechanics but you can't undermine it by having the other person also be a traitor no. And then the whole thing turns out the whole mission was inspired by another devious plan. Because then all that's happening is that he is just, that Tony Gray is just acting as he is supposed to. He's just being. He's just doing his job. Yeah. It's, and it's not sufficiently interesting. No. Well, we haven't really talked much about the plot um, because it's not that great. I mean, they get, they, they get the lead they, together. They get the lead together, they get Quartermain to collect. Um, uh, Mr. Hyde because he's doing all the murders on the room walk playing all mm. the gorilla yeah um, then they have to go to Venice to stop something and they don't and then they take a submarine from Venice to Mongolia and they, they have to blow, blow things up to, and they blow everything up and then mm. Quartermain dies of something he gets stabbed yes he gets stabbed by the fall, fall down and break his hip no he gets stabbed ah, he gets because stabbed. he's old <laughs> I see what he did there um, no he gets stabbed no um, yes, yeah, he and, and then there's a the, the payoff to the scene earlier where Quartermain is teaching Sawyer to shoot, and Sawyer shoots and he shoots um, Moriarty as he's running away, just just running off into the tundra. Yeah, oh, no, 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 he's running for the little escape. Pod, yeah, he's got the escape which pod, has managed, which has managed to go all the way around the world. Uh, well, that's neat. With, with, stuff. with the Invisible Man hiding inside, and really pressed up against the glass. Yeah, trying not to touch him. Um, yeah, just yeah, just shoot someone in the back as they're Well, there's there's the big the big hide monster, where like, the henchman drinks like a big vat yeah. of the mixture and turns into a giant freaky creature. Yeah, and then they blow him up. Yeah, I, I mean, I get again that it's all in theory good stuff where you have it's, it's all you have a, a payoff of another scene or you have a mirror of another scene. You also have the sort of the dark mirror of the league in itself. It's, it's like seeing. Are like a Furby, but with all the fur ripped <laughs> off, because you can see all the mechanics, you can see all the things how it works, but you haven't got the nice cosmetic stuff covering it to make it look like a completed thing. Mm. So as a result, you've got this mechanical monster going, "I love you, I love you," and it's freaky and scary. Yeah, and that's what this film is. It's a, it's a, it's a skin Furby of a movie. Even that makes it seem as if there's, you're going to have more of a reaction to it 
Like it's even half more. Yeah, it's it's repulsion. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, but even repulsion is a sort of even if you make something this even hatred is a response. Yeah, whereas yeah, this is sort of uh, oh yeah, that happened. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that was a good makeup effect. Yeah, and actually, when I was watching this, I thought, God, the CGI on Mr. Hyde looks really awful. Not CGI. <laughs> no, no, that's an actual. That's yeah. a big prosthetic suit they put Jason yeah. Fleming in. And in fact, it's weird how it manages to look like crap computer effects when it's physically real. Well, I mean, I mean, some of the, the set uh, work and some of the, the special design, effects and stuff. The design, the design of the Nautilus on the inside look great. I think. I mean, the design work generally, I think, is pretty good. Um, it's just, it's all being bogged down by this uninspired flat script and but I, but also just the, but and also just the fact that you you can't get enough screen time per person to develop it. The film's too short. It, it's short, but but just also you have multiple main characters, and, and you have to have people. Well, it has been, but again, when we talk about the Avengers. Mm. Or that's all. <laughs> but you kind of know what they stand for. They've been introduced already. And, yes, you're right. And and the things that they they do demonstrate what they stand for or what they are like. You yeah. don't have to have someone else say like uh, Nemo when Nemo is working. Uh, he's he's got the is it Kali Kali Yuga, the 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 Hindu goddess of death. Kali. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Kali. Yes, because it's the one that they have all the thuggies worship in Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. That's how I learned about foreign cultures. Right, okay. Um, but anyway, so there's a bit where, again, I can't even keep it in my brain. Who cares who's talking about him? But two of the people are saying, you know, can we really trust the person who worships death? And then he sort of ominously closes the door. <laughs> I mean, that never comes... That, that doesn't really tell you that much about the character. And then the character of Nemo then doesn't... They do anything with that so no. you, you've got you've got the awkwardness of people having to talk to each other to reveal things about a third person because you've got all these people and you can't just have them talk to each other and there's that, it, it's too much tell no show if, if they somehow been able to introduce each character a little like quick vignette it's, it's probably quite a happy technique but it's like have um, Dorian Gray like get into a deal with someone and he loses and he's yeah. fine as oh Mr Gray but it's the exact same problem with them Suicide Squad. Well, it's, I mean, that, like, that introduces all those characters like three times, and then and then yeah, so everything and, takes too long, and then they've got a little thing to do at the end. Yeah. Whereas actually, you could speak in those introductions yeah. quickly. Yeah, give like a little scene just to show off what each of them can do. Yeah, and I think another issue is just it's modelled as as if it's a star vehicle for Sean Connery. Mm. And it shouldn't be. It should be an ensemble. Like the same issue with Mission Impossible, I think. Um, it should be an ensemble picture, and you can have like a you can have a leader, but there has to be a, like a, a sharing of the wealth, a sharing of the spotlight. Yeah, and you don't get that here. No, it's not. No, yes, you're right. I mean, I mean, in the comics, Quatermain is Quatermain's not the leader of the group, is he? He's not the leader of the group, but he's also not. He's also quite a pathetic character in lots of different ways. He's not the... And so the movie with Sean Connery in it, they had to rewrite it to make him a bit more kind of... Yeah, but that's the thing. That you, you, so you end up with something that is... Um, there's an awkwardness where, on one hand, he has to be this kind of heroic figure. Yeah. But you're trying to inject into it that idea of, well, actually, you know, he's an old man now. 
living in kind of isolation, he's buried his family. Um, you know, what what's the you know, what good is the British Empire, you know, mm. anyway, or you know, what evils has it done? That that's an awkward mix because because you're you're trying to you're trying to have something which reflects on the, the, or deconstructs certain certain yeah. things, but at the same time you have to have Sean Connery in, in almost every scene, and he has to win everything, and he has to be able to punch people out, and he has to you know that's yeah. there's a tension there. Yeah, I mean, and again, like if you were trying to you were trying to write this the, the screenplay. But somebody's over your shoulder saying, Connery has to win this and Connery has to do this. You would find that difficult. Anyone would find that difficult. Yeah. And like, well, I'm not really, not really writing a story. I'm writing, I'm writing a particular product. Yeah. And again, now you could also say that's what a screenwriter is supposed to do. That's that's what you know. You're, they're not writing a novel. They're writing a screenplay. It's a particular. It is a particular product. Yeah. And it's still very difficult. I just think that. Because of that, it, un- it unbalances the the nature of the film. Yeah, and the result is is this. Yeah. Um, well, we're nearly at the end now. Um, but well, can I ask then? I mean, what do you think is work? Because this is cinema limbo, right? So yeah, what do I think works? What do you think works? So what is it? Is it worth seeing? Do you think? I think it's a curio. I don't think that it's particularly interesting in its own right because it's just not engaging enough. It's just not interesting enough as a film. No. I think the story about the making of the film is much more interesting. Yeah. And we haven't even got onto the lawsuit that happened. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That but, kind of but, permanent. But I would say, like, if you were, if you were just, yeah, if you were interested in film, if you just wants, if you just wants to watch, like, a, just like a Friday night movie. Like just to unwind at the end of the week, watch a like fun, exciting adventure movie. No, no, I no, absolutely not. That, no. no, but I think if you were interested in, like, if you wanted to write yourself, or you were interested in, again, sort of seeing the mechanics of something they bear. Yeah, it might be worth. It's studying is maybe too too much, but but no, in a light way, studying and just saying, it, oh, here's something that doesn't work. And, yeah, I mean, like, like I say, it's a curio. It's something that is, it's interesting. For not for entertainment purposes, but in terms of pulling it apart, yeah, and finding out why it's doing and what it's doing, I think that makes it interesting, and I think it works nicely as a case study where you can look at it and figure out, well, this doesn't work because of this, this doesn't work because of this, and you can learn from the mistakes in the script and in the production if you are doing a project of your own in in whatever capacity. And I think that works sort of generally because you know, yeah, you have to have to know what weight to put on particular elements. And when you're telling a story, you have to know, you know, which parts you have, which parts are shown, which parts are tell. How do you balance a yeah. storyline where you have all these characters all over the place, and you have to introduce them from scratch, as you said, which they don't do in Dad's Army and the Avengers. How can you do that in a way that makes it work? How long should the film be? Well, it should be longer than 105 minutes. Um. In those terms, I think it's a film worthy of study, but not a film worthy of a film worthy of analysis. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would. I would say you could. You could look at this. You could look at the Avengers, knowing that that there was a different a backstory and back or, or a yeah. back catalogue to it. I would say another one that 
I might have talked about this before. Um, the second oh, X-Men yes. film is, I think, a really, really good thing where you can see the mechanics of, but they have to move from here, they have to introduce these people, the teams split up, the teams come together, they have to have a climax, they have to tie that back into one of the characters. Uh, but it really properly works. Hmm. And again, it's not that the mechanics can't be looked at quite easily, but it really absolutely works. Because again, I think the issue there is that you have strong characters and a strong sense of... But also better direction. Um, yeah, right. The aesthetic is different. The, the, you know, you, um, Actually, as a, as a counterpoint, what do you think of Superman Returns? Because uh, that's Brian Singer as well, with a big bunch of characters. And he loved Superman much more than he loved the X-Men. Do you think he was too close to the material, though? I, well, I think that was bad in, in lots of different ways, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I don't think that's a good movie at all. It's two and a half hours. Yeah, but it doesn't have a good plot. I mean, that, that's one thing. The, the plot of that movie is, is dull. I repeat of other things that have come before. I, I, you know, um, I mean, it, it, it's interesting that, that, you know, here we're talking about a film with lots of uh, characters from literature. Popular literature. Popular popular literature, pulp fiction in some sense perhaps, whereas when you're talking about something like a Superman film, Batman doesn't seem to have that problem that Superman in particular is almost a sort of mythic status. Yes, because he's this godlike figure. Yeah, and I imagine it's much like trying to, I mean, <laughs> this might be a crass comparison, but, but I mean, imagine trying to make a film about uh, Jesus. I mean, apart from the fact that you get loads of people that don't there's a different sort of belief there, right? But yeah, yeah, I, I acknowledge that. But also, just the idea of what could you, what could you touch that you wouldn't be annoying lots, lots of people. A bit more important in the case of making a film about Jesus, perhaps, but a bit more widespread. I love the hand gesture you're doing there because it's the exact same one that he does in all the stained glass pictures. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> I, yes, that's true. Yes, I'm slightly Yeah, no, no, but I, I, so I'm, 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 I'm making a pinching motion. I'm trying to sort of think it's. Batman somehow escapes it, even though everybody knows who Batman is. Batman is a much more down-to-earth character because he's he's just an ordinary man. No, but he's but he's not because he's a billionaire for person who dresses up as a bat. Yeah, but Superman is this godlike being with all these powers. Batman is much more. I think Batman is more interesting character anyway because he's a human being yeah. and he's a massively flawed, massively psychologically broken person. Yeah, I find that far more interesting. Yeah, but something I've been thinking about recently is uh, going wildly off on tangents. Um, there's been this new Superman, uh, this new Batman uh, animated movie, um, which I think is Batman in Victorian London. Oh, um, Gotham by Gaslight. Yeah, Gaslight. Gotham by Gaslight. And I was thinking about that in terms of how oh, could you see Superman as well? How do these sort of mythical stories work in different contexts? Yeah, yeah. I think I mean I think Batman works better than perhaps Superman. Superman's a tricky one because well, there's power. There's been, um, but I wonder if it goes the other way. So if we think of the League of Gentlemen, could you League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Because what happens in the comic books is it, it, it goes through the... The, 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 whole, of, the whole of the 20th century up yeah. to the present day, yeah. yeah. Uh, the villain at the end of book three is Harry Potter, who's defeated by Mary Poppins. Yes. And he's got eyes all over his body or something. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah. but again again there, there is a there's a there's a okay. humour to it and a, a, a horror to it and and, and it, it's a kind of unrestrained creativity and in the film it feels very restrained yes it's very yes, even though they're putting all these rails yeah even though they're putting a lot of money into it, it I mean that, that I think is a little interesting in that, that it's not it's not quite at the stage where CGI is is so polished and and it becomes cheaper to do so many things with CGI than practical effects it's kind of on the mm. on the edge of that and so it probably suffered both ways in that some of the CGI would have been expensive and not super and other things had to be done with expensive sets yeah <laughs> so they got, they got sort of screwed both ways which is well, shame someone else who actually turned down Lord of the Rings or rather almost worked on Lord of the Rings but didn't was Stuart Townsend who played Dorian Gray yes, because he, he started filming on Lord of the Rings as Aragorn yeah. and was gently let go after a week because he wasn't right for it yeah but and, I he's, mean, and he's, his career has never kind of reached that level again either uh, no um, no he's been a few not great things mm. um, but again it is a business and and it just seems I just find it interesting that all these people were in this film that was primed to be a, a big blockbuster and then it failed and everyone seems to have just hit the skids I mean I think Tony Curran and Jason Fleming are more kind of character actors anyway so they've been yeah. fine um, Jason Fleming played Professor Quatermass a couple of years later that's a peach of a role um, you should like that lots of science it's all about space right um, okay. but yes yeah, Stephen Norrington Sean Connery Peter Wilson Stuart Townsend um, yeah. Shane West Masroodian Shah was a huge star in India so that's kind of separate anyway um, well I mean maybe Richard Roxburgh who has also played Sherlock Holmes in other productions well I mean yeah I, I think maybe maybe it was more poisonous than I originally thought I just find I, don't, I wouldn't say there's necessarily any kind of curse on it or or everyone looks and says oh they were involved with that don't work with them because I don't think that's really I can't imagine anyone remembering it now yeah it's or like I mean it, it, they would have they, they could remember it but there are films that just every now and then I think I, I find myself thinking of them even if it's 20 years later yeah just a little bit or like a little character thing oh, that's a bit like that I remember having seen it League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and when I watched it to, to, to prepare for this to remind myself of things I realised oh I couldn't remember the rhythm of, I couldn't remember the rhythm of things I couldn't really remember anything or I'm beginning to dredge up memories but it has ne- but in between the last time I saw it and this time it has never troubled my thoughts mm. at all so there's a, there's a space in your memory that you know is this is where I went to see League of Extraordinary Gentlemen but that space in your memory is completely blank. Well, it just it hasn't been accessed in so long. So there's a space in your memory where this is the part where you remember going to see the Extraordinary Gentleman, but that space is blank. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I felt the same way. <laughs> Thanks to Ed for making the time for this recording. Cinema Limbo is now on iTunes with almost 50 episodes available, so please download, review and subscribe. Podnose is also on Patreon, so please do make a one-off or regular contribution to help with our running costs. We're also on Twitter, at cinema underscore limbo, 
and in person at j underscore j underscore phillips with two l's. However, until next time, snoring noise. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com. <laughs>